and welcome to Human Leadership, a podcast full of science-backed and practical knowledge and insight designed to help anyone who leads people unleash the human talent we need for the next era of work. I'm Suzanne Jacobs, an organisational behaviour and performance expert who has worked as part of senior leadership teams for over 30 years and conducted more than a decade of research into the neurobiological drivers of intrinsic motivation and trust. In each episode of Human Leadership, I'll take you through what you'll need to make your workplace human fit. And to help me along the way, I have roped in my sister, Chloe, who is a brilliant educationalist and who actually also knows a thing or two about leadership. And together, we're gonna guide you through everything you need to know to become a better human leader. In this episode, we will be discussing two key human leadership concepts, trust and intrinsic motivation. As part of that, we'll look at the leadership zeitgeist, the skills needed for the fourth industrial era, and why trust is the real performance currency. We'll also discuss the motivation formula, how you can measure trust, and finally, the drivers of trust and intrinsic motivation. Hello, Chloe. How are you? What have you been up to? Oh, well, I got very excited today because I decided not to paint and use my power tools. Um, I'm actually building some shelves in a brewing cupboard because I don't have enough shelves for my storage of my dog's things. Um, So I've got my saw out and my most exciting, my laser level. And how are you? Oh, very good. In a brewing cupboard. Love it. Okay. Yeah. No, I am. I'm all right, actually. I am juggling the world of, uh, well, recording podcasts, uh, homeschooling, and I have realised that every element of physics and maths I ever thought I remembered or learnt, I I didn't. So, um, yeah, both my children have completely surpassed my any of my ability to be able to help them. So I'm just constantly just team monitor at the moment. So, yeah, so trust and motivation are a big part of what's going on in my house. And these are also our topics for this episode. And and Chloe, to me, this is so important because I think right now we're in the middle of a motivation crisis. We've got a real problem on our hands because the way we're working is not working. We're in what I term a a colliding context amplified by the global pandemic. But, you know, we've got huge technological advances, societal shifts, demographic shifts, Um, environmental, political, economic volatility. And this broken workplace has uh, manifested itself in the fact that our productivity hasn't increased for over a decade. Workplace stress now sadly is listed one of the leading causes of mortality. And our engagement levels actually globally, but just thinking about the UK at this point, 85% of our workforce is is disengaged they're either actively disengaged or not engaged and it's the not engaged part that I think is really interesting 67% of the 85% they're not your worst performers they're coming into work they're doing a job but they've got you know it's a real workplace apathy they're withholding energy there's no discretionary effort 
they're indifferent yeah that's I, I am you've actually bowled me over to be honest 85 percent I can't actually get my head around that there, there must be so much despondency in the workplace. It must be awful. I bet they don't like Mondays, as uh, Bob Geldof once said. And I bet that, that rolls over to Sunday evenings. That must be horrendous. How did this all start? Why has it gone so wrong? Yeah, it's quite. It's, it's really interesting, the history and why we're here. And, and I know what you mean about the, the Sunday night blues. I mean, I remember having a job, one of my first jobs, actually, and the whole of my Sunday was affected by knowing that I had to go to work on the Monday. But actually, for a lot of people, it, it's not that bad. It's just, it's just sort of this, as I say, this sort of apathy of people coming in and out, out of work. But what's interesting to me is when you look back at the history, we're actually sort of still carrying out what is the legacy of the science of of management, which really came about in the early 20th century. And most people listening will have heard of uh, Frederick Taylor and his approach to workplace efficiency, uh, labour productivity, um, and it often referred to as Taylorism. He, He, when we bought men from the, the, the farms into the factory. We gave them a, a rudimentary education and then we placed them on a, on a factory line. And what Taylor did and, and others um, looking at the humans, if you like, on that factory line, they did an enormous amount to create efficiency, get things quicker, get things work, worked better, greater quality. But ultimately, what he and others did is that they never took into account that actually we are not wholly rational beings, but in fact, we're actually primarily driven by emotion. And he was coming from the angle, and actually economic theory changed around that time as well, to place the human being as self-serving, only really motivated by by money. And therefore, we we had to control these humans. I mean, whether or not he really said it or not, I've no idea. But Henry Ford is quoted as saying, you know, why is it that every time I get a pair of hands, I get a brain attached? And that that really was the birthplace of the good old performance metrics, seeking a lot to, to control, to measure output, rather than actually think about the conditions that the human being actually needs to thrive and perform at their best. Yeah, I, I love that quote, that just the, uh, the one, why do I get a brain attached to them? Because it just, it, it highlights, I think we've actually forgotten the fundamental cogs of the working world machine is in fact human. And humans, unlike machines, they actually have emotions that need to be nurtured and supported and on top of that, the working world is continuously changing. And I just, I just think it's so difficult to keep up with it because we already talked about the AI um, and all the technology that's continuously moving us forward. We've got to get this leadership piece right. And um, I do actually remember you saying something about the skills we do actually need in this new era of work. But I actually think... We, we don't focus on them enough. What do you think? Yeah, it's, that's quite an interesting question. I know we've had a conversation about this in the past because it was um, 
It was actually an article, uh, a brilliant article that I read from the World Economic Forum. It was part of, of Davos in 2016. And what they laid out were, as they saw it, uh, the skills needed for the future of work and, and this fourth industrial age that we're, we're uh, catapulted ourselves into. Uh, they had top, t- uh, top 10 skills. Uh, they include things like creativity, critical thinking, emotional intelligence, cognitive flexibility, and so on. I've I've actually, you know, it, it being who I am, just decided to add another one onto the World Economic Forum. I've added focus and attentional regulation because I think it's absolutely fundamental for such an information rich environment in which we're working. The ability to be able to really focus and hone our attention is going to be invaluable. But when I looked at this list, it stood out for me that every single one of them on there was inherently human. And yet we are not creating the environment to really be able to to unleash them. You know, the, the human, like any system, and we're obviously a biological system, Again, it needs it needs the right conditions, and actually, it was quite interesting when I started looking at these because it was quite at the start of some of the research that I've carried out. And one of my driving forces to carry out the research was to understand, as a leader of very large, diverse teams working across international spaces on you know huge change programs, what it was that. I should be doing as a leader to create the experience where every individual could thrive. And I remember thinking about the computer in front of me, and I actually knew more about the conditions it needed to be able to be switched on and stay switched on and working than I did about the human beings that were relying on me for for that direction. And we've, we've got to be able to equip our leaders with capability, human leadership capability. For me, this industry 4.0 needs, needs human leadership 4.0. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I actually totally agree with you. And, and it's, again, this focus on the human just being a machine, isn't it? And not focusing on the skills that, that you've actually listed, which I love these skills. I want to see them in my students all the time. Um, and it's amazing how they actually get stifled over time. Um, the, take creativity, for example. Now, you give a stick to a child and suddenly it's a plane or a bat, a, a sword or a wand. You know, the imagination is just going but you give it to an adult and, uh, yeah, it's a stick. Um, so how can we actually nurture these skills and that human potential and, you know, allow that inner child to actually come out? Oh, God, I love that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Never really sort of thought about it like that. A, a stick is not a stick until until we grow up. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, well, it is, it is really interesting. And it, actually, it comes back to that point around creating the conditions that the human being can actually, in this case, you're talking about creativity, but it's about creating the conditions in which the brain is able to tap into our, our ability to problem solve and create and innovate and adapt. And that 
wonderful example you gave, a beautiful example, is about curiosity. It's about experimentation. It's about exploration. We are we're built to problem solve and to adapt and to create. But you're you're right. We we are you know our systems and the systemic workplace set up as well does tend to stifle this we don't create those optimal conditions for experimentation and curiosity to create creativity and the foundation of of all of this the foundation to be able to really tap into these our human skills and talents uh, the, the foundation of it all is is trust so it, it, I mean you can refer to this as a bit like a brain safe environment it's where your brain can look around its environment the situation others that you're interacting with and it interprets you as being safe uh, trust ultimately or brain safe trust is it's the real performance currency and I'll just give it just to give you a little bit of context behind this. It's sort of the premise of the research behind all of this really is what what are these conditions? So taking it all the way back to, to real baseline um, neurology, really, your, your brain, I mean, obviously it does an amazing myriad of, of, of roles, but ultimately it's it's in your head and it's working for one primary reason your survival our neurological setup is designed and hardwired to seek danger and if we perceive danger and perceive is a really important point here because the brain is it's all about how it interprets our surroundings Um, and also I also want to caveat that as well because you know whilst it's hardwired to perceive danger we've got to realize what actually is dangerous in the brain's interpretation now particularly in the workplace because most of what we're experiencing at work isn't physical at least i hope it's not it tends to be psychological or or psychosocial you know the the deadline um, being excluded that that presentation which is round the corner um some of the aspects that are really falling into the workplace stress aspect, our uncontrollable workloads, our inability to integrate our priorities, both in work and out of work, and of course, un- totally unachievable targets. But the key here is that our physiological, our neurological response to these dangers in the workplace, these psychological dangers, whilst we can rationally say they're not going to cause us physical harm, the response we have, the threat response we have, is exactly the same as if it was physical danger. So when we're placed in a threat state, when our brain has perceived uh, a threat in the workplace, it triggers our fight or flight response, which ultimately is our acute response process, which, and it prepares us, it prepares us in a split second to defend our position or to escape, which actually incredibly useful when you're facing a a real danger but actually it's not always helpful in the workplace when you've got to try and concentrate and get some stuff done what what it does is it in this threat state it narrows our whole attention on the problem and and that ability to be able to concentrate on anything else is is so significantly depleted and, and in this threat state, we often experience what we label in our language as negative emotions. Um, although 
every emotion, every emotion has a role because emotions actually they're they're signals. They're signals for act to act to regain safety. Uh, or to obviously to escape. So they don't feel good for a reason. They're designed for you to make sure that you move away from the threat that's being perceived. But actually, do you know what? In a safe space, when the brain trusts its environment, completely different. When our brain trusts what's going on, our experience is totally different. How we think, feel and behave is completely different our cognition, the way in which we can think and, and, and use our, our brain power, if you like, is completely, it's online. We can yeah. access our creativity, we can connect to others. And of course, what we also get is those feel-good sensations, those neurochemicals, such as oxytocin and serotonin. And these feel-good sensations that we get are designed to move us towards safety. There are natural inbuilt reward mechanism, which is the seat of intrinsic motivation. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and it's, it's so true. Trust is essential for anyone to feel to be able to flourish. Um, and it's, it's, it's as though you, you, you've got to be allowed to make those mistakes and, and not hold back. And this is probably where they are the argument being that, that people are disengaged because they're holding back because of the fear of making mistakes. They don't trust that environment. They don't feel safe. But if, if you actually were allowed to make those mistakes, that would lead to learning opportunities, which will then lead to greater understanding and surely better production. So, you know, like I said, this, I still, I'm still absolutely bowled over by this 85% being disengaged. And just think if we could actually reverse that and the productivity that would come from that and, to be honest, the happiness in the workforce, it, it would be so, so much better. But how do, we, how do we create that safe environment to support the skills that we need in this new working world? Yeah, no, it's a really good point. It's, it's, um, we talk about trust a lot. We talk about engagement as being the holy grail, discretionary effort. But what we haven't really got in the workplace is how. So I, I know we need it. We're looking for it. Everybody knows the return on investment from an engaged workforce. And as I say, we talk a lot about trust, but it can sometimes feel like this sort of ethereal concept. We can't get our hands around it. So the great thing is that actually there is a formula. We know enough about what the brain equates to as trust or safety that triggers the reward mechanism that we're looking for. We, we know enough about what that recipe is, what the formula is. And having that, we can start to apply it. You know, it's, it's, as I say, it's the formula for, for trust. It allows us to be able to create the workplace experience consciously and proactively that really nurture this brain safe environment. What I want to start with, though, before we do anything here is to think about the fact that work fundamentally at a baseline needs to provide enough for us to keep a roof over our heads and food on our table. So if we if we take that we're starting from a position that these are now satisfied, the drivers sit 
align to these basic needs and they add to psychological safety, sometimes referred to, but trust. And I'm going to go through them really quickly. There's a a lot of information out there if anybody listening would like to know a lot more, but I just want to give you a headline understanding of what each of the drivers actually is. So D, direction. It's a clear sense of purpose and meaning in what I do and within my life, you know, in terms of thinking about the opposite to this, and sometimes it's easier to think about these on their flip side, you know, a lack of direction, a lack of meaning is is futility. I'm just doing my job in isolation. The next one down is R, and this stands for relative position. Now, this is my sense of significance and my identity and position within within my team or within my group. And that I know that my contribution is understood by others and really valued by others as well. You know, I'm asked my opinion, for example. And then we come to I, which is inclusion. We are predominantly social animals. And we need to belong. In inclusion, we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion, of course, but actually inclusion is a primary need for us. It is not just a nice to have, it is critical to our health, our well-being, and of course our performance. And inclusion is really about that. It's that perception of belonging and identity within a group that I really value. And then we come to V, which is voice and, and choice as well within this. So this is a sense that my voice will be heard in terms of I have a say in how I go about my work, that I've got choice, autonomy, and I've also got control over the decisions that affect my life. You know, again, think about this in a different way. If you're being controlled, how does that feel? You know, from the brain's perspective, you're handing your your, your fate, if you like, over to others. It's inherently threatening. And then we come to E, which is equity. Now, this is our perception of being treated fairly and that there's fairness and equity in our surroundings, in our group, within the organisation, for example. You know, when there is no, when we perceive there's, there's no fairness or there's been unfair treatment or unequitable treatment, we react really badly you know it almost it triggers the same sort of areas as 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 disgust um and then we come to r which is reliability now this is really interesting reliability our brains our brains are designed to pattern match the data that it receives from all our senses to make sense of what's happening based on our past experience and then to predict what's about to happen now when our surroundings are unreliable, uncertain, ambiguous. Um, the brain will trigger our threat response because it can't pattern match it. So where we look for a sense of reliability, a sense of certainty, a sense of security, is why change often fails in the in the workplace to meet its meet its objectives because we don't take into account the human response to change. Whilst we all have different levels of tolerance to ambiguity and uncertainty. And then finally, the S is stretch. And here, Chloe, you were saying about, you know, that curiosity, the, the, the creativity um, and, the, and the need to actually make mistakes in order to be able to adapt. Yeah. This all sits in here. Yeah. This is my 
opportunities for growth and learning it's about it is about winning it's about achievement it's about accomplishment but really importantly in here is also my sense of progress every day when we sometimes sit we also often sit in our work places and we've had back-to-back meetings or in you know the stream of emails throughout the day and we look back on our day and think what progress have I actually made it's incredibly demotivating yeah and how effort recognized yeah is so motivating and you want that sense absolutely absolutely so they're the drivers and and these are when they're nurtured each of them has a survival benefit from the brain's perspective and they create the conditions for us humans to thrive yeah i i I again i totally agree and i i think it it just makes so much sense to me the 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 drivers and this formula but but how can you actually use these formula to to actually help people flourish and support them and improve their motivation what 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 can you do because I understand they're there and they make sense but how can you use them yeah no great question and and again for me everything comes down to how do I do this what's the so what how do I apply this how do I make it real and actually I'll, I'll take the measurement first you can measure trust you can measure it through the lens of the drivers the um, trust scale is it's really simple it's incredibly quick you can do it you know in real time if you like to get immediate feedback either from you know your whole team or at an individual level and they of course they also provide that, that sort of common language as well amongst a team so you can start to talk about the drivers and what's being nurtured and what perhaps is is not being nurtured as well as it could be but the, the 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 trust scale itself the driver's trust scale is is really simple you draw a vertical line for each one of the drivers and you label the top of it threat and the bottom of it of these lines safe and then you mark based on the context or the situation you want to analyze it could be a, a meeting it could be you know, my job overall or my life overall. And you mark on the scale where each of your drivers is. Are they being nurtured? Are they close to safe? Or actually there's, they're not being as nurtured. They're out of kilter. They're out of, they're being quashed and and they're closer to a threat state. And it provides you literally a picture, a picture of where your drivers are or where, or being able to assess the entire experience of your workforce, for example. It uses a visual scale, not a numerical scale. And and the basis behind that is that actually it creates a far more nuanced and accurate assessment of how we're truly feeling about something. It is, of course, subjective, but it is our perception and our perception is our reality. So it is literally as simple as that. It's as quick as that. But the insight that we get from it, it it you can use it proactively to inform, I don't know, communication, setting up a project, particularly change projects, um, supporting leaders and their approaches. I say it's like it's like a sort of this proactive. You can use them as a checklist to to boost energy and well being and performance and innovation, um, and to use a you know, a, a business term or economic term, they are core lead indicators. And as you use them, whether you use them for yourself or you're using them with your team, they 
deepen self-awareness and awareness of others. So we build our emotional literacy so that we can better understand behavior, ours and others. And we can also normalize the human condition. And then the applying the drivers, do you know, it's so simple. There is a whole questioning technique which supports um, a coaching approach to help individuals develop but also it's a technique that actually you can get straight to the heart of the matter through the lens of the drivers. Um, as I say, they are incredibly powerful in a, in a coaching, using this technique in a coaching situation. But also there are just some, some things that you, you don't need, you hardly need any time for, completely free. Nobody needs to give you permission. So uh, just examples. Use, take time to learn how to pronounce somebody's name and use it. Notice effort. Notice the strengths people use. You know, these things switch on our reward mechanism so quickly. Um, in, we can use brain safe uh, feedback mechanisms. So I'm not so keen on the term feedback. Um, because of often the threat mechanism that it actually invokes. But there's a brain safe, using the lens of the drivers, we can actually create a brain safe process of learning. Um, One brilliant one is wherever you can ask, avoid telling. You know, when we tell somebody something, unless it's, you know, life or death, there's so much we don't need to just dictate. We're, We're showing that we're controlling another. So, so many really simple things that actually when you get underneath the surface of them, underneath the skin of them, they are common sense, but they're not, they're not common practice. And what's really important about the drivers is that they are true for all humans and they really provide that foundation to create a human fit workplace. Thanks for listening please subscribe to Human Leadership in your podcast app. And if you have time, leave us a review or give us a rating. If you'd like to find out more about the subjects we've discussed in this episode, you can do so in the little book of Trust and Intrinsic Motivation, part of the Human Leadership series of eBooks available through my website, the7.org.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with me about any of the subjects we've discussed, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email using suzanne at the7.org.uk and that's Suzanne with an S, not a Z.